Happy New Year's Eve. <laughs> Thank you. As we remain standing together on the edge of 2024, I welcome you to St. Paul's Bloor Street and welcome also to all of you who are joining us online this morning. Let's take a moment to pray together. God of love and of light, give us the grace this morning to meet your son, Jesus Christ, and to feel the presence of your Holy Spirit working among us, amen. Please do be seated. Let's imagine together Mary and Joseph approaching the temple. Picture the young couple dressed in modest linen clothing and sturdy leather sandals. They're climbing the temple steps, the bright morning sun in their faces, the courtyard around them noisy and dusty and bustling, but Mary and Joseph are in their own little world. Mary is preoccupied with the squirming baby Jesus, just one month old. She cradles him in her arms, cooing to him and hoping he doesn't make a fuss when they take him before the priest. They've come to the temple that morning to follow the Jewish custom of making an offering a month after having a new baby. The offering they've brought with them is the offering of the poor, two pigeons. Joseph is making Mary laugh, clumsily carrying the pair of squawking pigeons in their makeshift cage. The couple have a slightly nervous air about them, people fully aware of their own smallness and poverty about to enter a big sacred space. But they're churning with excitement and anticipation too. A lot has been going on in their lives as of late. For starters, Mary agreed to become pregnant with God's child. And not only that, but Joseph agreed to believe what an angel told him and raise said child alongside her. Just a month ago, they traveled together to Bethlehem on a donkey while Mary was nine months pregnant and spent a chaotic night frantically searching for a safe place to give birth. And finally, Mary did give birth in a stable to Jesus, the savior of the world. Now, before the whole angel, shepherds, virgin birth thing, Mary and Joseph were regular people who probably hoped that they would live a normal, boring life for a poor family from Galilee. Maybe the biggest event they thought they would experience was traveling to some kind of carpentry convention in Egypt, or maybe building a little cabin on the Mediterranean coast where they could retire and sell little wooden ornaments and eat olives and feta in peace. But instead, the little family has been following the weird and wonderful path that God invited them on, each step of the way being asked to say yes. And every step so far, they've been able to say, okay, God, yes, we will do that. Mary and Joseph had been at home for the past month, tending to the needs of their newborn baby. Their visit to the temple that morning was Jesus's debut. The first time they were bringing their little son out in public to meet the world. 
This was a very special moment. God, who said yes to coming into the world as a baby, would encounter his creation as one of them. An incredible paradox, a tiny baby, fully human, who is simultaneously the almighty author of the world's biggest story, fully God. And that day at the temple, Jesus would meet two people who had already agreed to be part of that big story and couldn't wait to see God's yes in the flesh. These two people were Simeon and Anna. First, we'll meet Simeon, someone who seems to know how to listen closely to the voice of God. So who is this old man that grabs Mary and Joseph's baby out of their arms, spouts a whole poem off the cuff, and gives the young couple such direct words about their future and the future of their little son. What we know about Simeon for sure is that he was righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit rested on him. So basically, Simeon was likely very old, very patient, and it seems a master of listening to the Spirit. The text tells us that Simeon was guided by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple that day. This guy was so in tune with God's Spirit. He was making even the smallest decisions of where he needed to be on any given day with help from the Almighty. How does someone get to the point where they know the Spirit is speaking to them and they obey? Or even to the point where they believe that they serve a God who can speak to them personally? And what does it mean to be guided by the Spirit? Was it a feeling he got in his gut that he simply couldn't ignore? Was it a seemingly random thought that popped into his head that he knew wasn't his? Was it a voice whispering in his ear? A booming command from outside himself? Whatever it was, Simeon heard it. And he said, yes, I will go to the temple. But what made Simeon able to say yes? Well, he was also in that same place of freedom that Mary and Joseph were in. Simeon lived his life listening to the voice of God. And that became the most important thing or even the only important thing in his life, listening. Imagine for a moment, a man whose arms are full of Christmas presents. They're stacked so high that he can't fit through the doorway that's in front of him. But on the other side of the door, there is an even better and bigger gift waiting for him. Unless he's able to drop the Christmas presents that he's holding, he'll never be free to enter into the good thing waiting for him on the other side of the door. Simeon is someone who saw something so amazing that he dropped those packages he was holding in order to go and get it. Simeon is the sort of man who holds all his priorities loosely, ready to let them go at the first whisper of the spirit in his ear. Not to worry if he was supposed to be in back-to-back -back meetings that day that Jesus was at the temple. This was more important. He could reschedule them. 
Simeon understood what it was to put God's call on his life first. He had been dropping his own packages on the ground for a long time. He had long ago decided to walk with God and to listen to the Spirit. That's how he already had a promise from God, that he would see the Messiah before he died. Simeon had just two more boxes to let go of before that promise could be fulfilled. The last two boxes he put down that day at the temple contained his own preconceived notions of what he thought the Messiah might look like. Maybe a strong soldier, a lion, definitely not a little baby. And second, how he thought the Messiah might come. Could he come on a cloud of fire or riding in a chariot? Definitely not in a dirty stable in a backwater town. Simeon let go of these ideas in order to say yes to God's reality. And with those two things gone, his arms were totally free to run over and grab the Christ child. As we step into this new year, it's a good time for us to ask ourselves, what are some of these things that I might be holding on to that I can let go of? Which packages is it okay to let fall so that my arms are free to pick up Jesus. It probably looks a little bit different for each one of us. And I invite you, inspired by Simeon's example, to earnestly ask the Holy Spirit and listen to what God might be asking you to let go of. This poem that Possibly it could be letting go of self-criticism, letting go of self-hatred. Maybe it's making more room to hear God's voice that delights in you and who he made you to be. What does that look like practically? Maybe it's biting the bullet and finally going to therapy. Maybe the package that God is asking you to drop on the ground is cutting down on one Uber Eats order or one meal out every month in order to make more room in your budget to give. Maybe it's simply letting go of one episode of The Crown each week in order to make room for 10 minutes a day of daily prayer. You can even use the St. Paul's Daily Prayer Guide. There are copies available in the lobby and online. And you're in luck because it starts tomorrow January 1st in the morning. Personally, I think Simeon would be quite fond of this option, in part because he himself lived in this rhythm of prayer, listening every single day to the Spirit, and also because his very own words make up part of the Compline prayer, one we say each night before going to sleep. This prayer is the poem that Simeon says when he grabs Jesus in his arms. Lord, let your servant depart in peace. It's known as the Nunc Dimittis. As we remember Simeon's word, we can remember him listening to the spirit, free and unburdened to follow whatever he might hear. The second person that Jesus meets at the temple that day is Anna. Now, we aren't given a whole lot to go off of when it comes to Anna, but what we do know is, frankly, pretty tragic. 
I imagine her as quite a small woman. Maybe she might be knocked over by a gust of wind as it flew through the temple window. Her eyes, milky with cataracts, set deep into her thin face, which is etched with a million tiny smile lines. She's 84, and she lost her husband only seven years into her marriage. Since at that time people got married very young, she's likely been widowed over 60 years. We're told she spent these past 60 years fasting, praying, and never leaving the temple, never leaving. What does that tell us about her? Well, maybe it tells us she's a bit loony. Or maybe that she was so hurt over the passing of her husband that she needed the stability of the temple and these walls and the routine of serving the priests. Maybe Anna's story is the story of a woman who lives in a society where status is so determined by the men that you're attached to that she wouldn't feel safe alone as a woman in the city. Whatever the reason, she has become entirely dependent on that place of the temple, entirely dependent on God's provision. Anna said yes to doing the work of God in a place where she probably wouldn't have chosen to be. When she was married as a young woman, surely she envisioned a completely different future, one where she would have had many children and grown old alongside her husband. It's unlikely that she saw her future confined completely to the temple. But this is what God had for her. And she, as best she can, is letting go of her own priorities and her own preferences so she can be open to the work that God gave her. Anna said yes to this life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Basically, she's a nun before there were even nuns. But all is not as it may seem on the surface. This simple life was not a death sentence for Anna. In fact, Anna is doing some of the most important work in history, right from within her temple home. Anna's not just some quasi-nun with a tragic backstory. Her other identifying characteristic flies in the face of this seemingly boring routine. Anna is a prophet. Now, I've heard this word a million times, but I didn't really know what it meant, so I looked it up, and a prophet is an inspired proclaimer of the word of God. Basically, God's telling her to tell people stuff, and she does it. Anna is charged with proclaiming the very words of God. Anna said yes to forging her own path, independent of society's expectations of her, and focused solely on her devotion to Jesus. Her simple life allowed her to be part of one of history's most important events, she got to actually meet Jesus in the flesh. We also read at the end of the passage that she was given the gift of evangelism. She became one of the first people to share the good news of Christ coming into the world. Anna, whose life at the temple may seem to us so small, was doing work that affected the entire universe. That's all people across all time, sharing the greatest treasure which came from the deepest pain. 
Many of us can probably see ourselves in parts of Anna's story. Maybe things are hard for us right now. Maybe we've lived a season of tragedy that's lasted a long, long time. Maybe the broken bits of us are slower to heal than we might like, and we're trying to find contentment in a place where we never in a million years pictured ourselves. Anna's story shows us that if we remain open to listening to God, there can be gifts for us in unexpected places, even in places that initially might seem incredibly painful and incredibly disappointing. It's not an easy place to say yes from, but we might even meet Jesus there. Long before Mary and Joseph, before Simeon, before Anna, there was another yes. God had to give God's own yes, a yes to come into the world as a baby, a yes to die on the cross and rise again, and a yes to invite us into relationship forever. Now, all of these things won't happen until much later, long after that day at the temple, after many beautiful moments of healing and prayer and tragic moments of loss, suffering, righteous anger. But it all began with this yes. Yes of God agreeing to come into the world and join his creation as the weakest one of them all, a little baby. Jesus is at the very center and heart of this story. Without Jesus, there's really no reason for Mary, for Joseph, for Simeon, for Anna to say yes. So what's the point? All these people said yes to God, but what does that have to do with me? Because as far as I know, God isn't asking me to become a nun or birth the Christ child. Did you hear that? At least I really hope he's not. Well, this story speaks a lot about the role of our yes and how it might play a big role in the story that God is writing. Maybe you're like Mary and Joseph, trying to live faithfully through the project that God has given you, despite uncertainty or even certain difficulty. Whether that project is raising a child, working towards a big assignment at work or school, or making a big decision, you're trying to be open to what God might have planned for you before you get too attached to your own plans. Maybe like Simeon, you're committed and already attuned to listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you long for more than that and you're trying to say yes in daily life. Yes to that little voice of the spirit asking you to take a detour that day and go to the temple. Maybe like Anna, you've come up against tragedy in your life. Maybe it nearly broke you and you're going through a really hard time. Maybe you've ended up in a spot that you never dreamed you would be in and you're fighting to accept your circumstances and find out why God might be asking you to stay there in that painful place for now. 
and what hidden treasures he might have for you there. Maybe you're having a hard time finding yourself in this story and you're simply confused about what all this means. You're asking yourself, if there really was a baby born to a virgin and an old man spouting spontaneous poetry and a wispy prophetess in a temple, but I'm willing to bet that you have whispered a secret prayer. If you're like me, you got down on your knees and folded your hands for good measure. A prayer for your parents, a prayer for your marriage, your friendship, your kids, or for yourself. And you wonder what it could mean if all this actually was true. You're wondering if God really is listening and watching somewhere out there and waiting for you to give your little yes. Well, the encouragement for you is that by showing up this morning or tuning in online, you've already given your first yes. A curious yes of being open, of dropping a few packages and bringing yourself closer to the treasure waiting for you on the other side of that door. Maybe God won't answer our prayers in the way we imagined. In fact, it doesn't really seem like anyone in this story got the life they imagined for themselves. A dramatic overthrow of Rome like Simeon longed for. A happy and healthy life with their child like Mary and Joseph had imagined. A long and happy marriage like Anna hoped for. But they all did get something incredible. And on the edge of this new year, our hope lies in exactly the same place that it did for Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. In that little baby at the temple who said yes to coming into the world. Yes to dying to save us from our sins. Yes to rising again. And yes to loving us more than we can imagine in Christ.